Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John chapter 8. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, because he says, Where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father." They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, 
you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words Therefore, you do not hear, because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say, I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. We have been studying the gospel according to John for um, a few months now. And each week we have talked about the the overall purpose of the book, um, talking about how uh, John's desire was for the people to understand who Jesus was. And when we get to John 8 here, we talked about last week, we see why. Because it's Jesus' greatest desire is for people to understand exactly who he is. He's the Son of God who became the Lamb of God in order to take away the sins of the world. And it's in that kernel truth that the church 
stands united in the understanding, the belief that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. And so he wasn't, all of a sudden, the God spirit came upon him at his baptism. But that he was, in all points, God. And so, last week, we saw in John chapter 8, that Jesus came and he drew a line, if you would, in the sand. And the line in the sand is that he is Yahweh in the flesh. And so we considered then um, the Aniyawi passages coming from the Old Testament. One of the things I stated was I wanted to overwhelm you with Scripture so that when we came into John 8 and we read what Jesus declared about himself, that you would understand it, that you would see it from the perspective of a Jew. So hopefully if you were here last week, you felt overwhelmed. And, and when we got to John 8, you said, yes, I get it. They got it. They understood. There was that transition from the point where they were going to throw stones at this woman caught in adultery. They, put, they you know, just dropped the stones to walk away. But now by the end of John chapter 8, they want to stone him instantaneously because of who he has declared himself unequivocally to be, that he was God. And so we looked overwhelmingly again at these Aniyawi passages from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew, that God declared that his name was Yahweh. The one who exists. I am that I am. He is the self-existent one. He is the uncaused cause. All things exist because he exists. And so we went through the fact that his name, Yahweh, then means that, reveals his existence, we then looked, or his essence, we then looked at his existence, how he continually wanted the Israelites, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, the world, to know that he was Yahweh, Ani Yahweh, I am, I am. So Ani, I, Yahweh, I am, I am. And so then we continued on through all those things, and and then I mentioned that in the Septuagint, remember that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew, okay, that they were afraid, and we mentioned that up when we were talking about his, um, his existence and his holiness, about the, the, his name. So in the, the ten words of the covenant, the ten commandments, right, you shall not, what, misuse the name of Yahweh your God, for God will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. But the Jews... They took that as a, they were in fear of misusing his name, so they stopped even using his name, okay? And so that was wrong, and so instead of saying Yahweh, they started putting in Adonai, which means master or lord, okay? And so when they then translated into the Greek, they didn't use any translation for Yahweh, which would have been Amy. Rather, they brought in the word Kyrios, Okay? It looks like curious, curious, okay, it's pronounced curious, okay, which means Lord in the Greek, okay? So you can see it says ego curios, I, ego, I, curios, Lord. And so it's a, an equative verb, I am Lord, or that would be equivalent to them saying I am Yahweh, Ani Yahweh, okay? So that was, remember, that was the Old Testament. 
And then you bring that into the Greek then, okay, into the New Testament, the Koine Greek, the way that you would state, I am Yahweh, I am, I am, would be to declare ego, ami, ego, ami, ego, I, ami, I am. So the equate of I am, I am, okay? So hopefully you're tracking a little bit with that, okay? We talked as well then, there were seven metaphorical uses by John um, referring to Jesus as the I am. Those are the ones commonly referred to, the seven I am's. But I shared with you that actually ego and me, okay, is used 24 times in John and that there are more than than just these seven and the the other ones actually are more pronounced these are just the metaphorical uses of it but there are then literal uses three of which we find here in John chapter 8 so five times in John chapter 8 five times Jesus declares ego me I am I am so from the Jews' perspective, what they would have been hearing is, Ani Yahweh, Ani Yahweh, Ani Yahweh. Remember, Jesus doesn't speak in Greek. Okay? A lot of times we, we, we confuse that. He's speaking either Hebrew or Aramaic to the people. Okay? And so what they hear, what he's declaring is, Ani Yahweh. That's why they say to him, who are you saying you are? <laughs> Just exactly who I'm saying I am. And then he declares it and defines it. So we saw them. We went through these, and we're going to be looking at the final two, John 13, where he says, when I'm betrayed, you'll know, ego, I me, I am, I am. In John 18, when they're in the garden, and, and they're looking, he says, who are, you, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. And he says, ego, I me, I am, I am. And when he says that, they all back off and fall to the ground from the force of the statement in worship. Okay, so the other three from John chapter eight, we considered briefly last week, okay, from the perspective of his declaration, who he is. What I want to do today is I told you we're going to come back to the exact same passage today, John eight. Okay, but now we want to look at this applicationally. Okay, coming. What does that mean? So what? Jesus is ego me. Jesus is the great I am. How does that apply to my life? What does it mean? Well, Jesus attaches every one of these with how it applies to our life. Right off the bat, in verse 12, where we're starting, Jesus declares what? I'm the light of the world. Big deal. So he's a big menorah sitting in the, in the, in the, uh, in the temple court. That's not what he meant, right? But that's what's happening, right? But right off the bat, he attaches it with the result of that, right? I am the light of the world, so what? Well, not, he doesn't say so. You don't have to. What does he say? Those who follow me will not, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Do you get it? So there is a direct correspondence to Jesus being God and how that ought to affect our lives. What we're going to see today is nine indicators of whether you are a believer or not. Nine statements that Jesus basically makes, that these are going to be effects upon the believers. But as we do that, we want to look at, as well, um, the 
the extent of his statement as well, briefly, as we come through this, because we didn't really get to spend a lot of time on it. And man, I'd love to spend even more time on it than this, okay? But the first one we see here is in verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the, the light of the world. Well, what does he mean by that? What is, what's actually stating? Well, first of all, what the Jews heard him say is, I'm the creator. Because it was Yahweh, it was Yahweh who was the one who spoke light into the darkness, okay? And it, he was represented by then the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And remember, Jesus is making this statement the day after the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the court of the woman, remember, were those menorahs, okay, the great lamps, the great lights that would represent Yahweh. And so Jesus is standing there in the court of the woman. We know that because that was where... The, the woman was brought, who was caught in adultery, and it was the court of the treasury, we're told here as well. They were one and the same. That's where the menorah was. So he's standing there with their symbology of Yahweh. And you can almost see him. I! Ani Yahweh! The light of the world. You get it? You can just see the people. Whoa. Did he just say what we think he said? I am the light. And so Psalm 118 say, why is it up there? Because this is what the people would be singing during tabernacles as they came. Which is kind of fun about Psalm 118. It's also part of what was happening back to, just prior to Passover when they were selecting the Passover lamb. They were singing it as well. Okay, but you can see, save now, Hosanna, I pray, Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We have blessed you from the house of Yahweh. God is Yahweh, and he has given us light. Who gave us light? Say again. Specifically. Yahweh, Ani Yahweh. They know specifically who has given them light. And Jesus says what? That's me. I am the light of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, we read. You've got lots of verses on your sermon note sheets. We're not going to go over them. Okay? But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, we read. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who was shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you realize in Genesis 1, I like to ask the question, what was before Genesis 1-1, right? I mean, you guys get that. Before Genesis 1-1 was? Oh, no. God. Oh, no, I don't know what you mean. Don't say nothing. Because God was before the... can't say nothing. Because you're thinking physically. No, 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 I, I get it. I get it. But it's important to understand. Before Genesis 1-1, God. God's existence doesn't depend on time, space, or matter. Yours does. God created matter, put it into space, creating time. It's cool stuff. Only after he did that, think about this, then he did what? What was the first thing he did? After he created the heavens and the earth, yeah, he spoke. He spoke. The word spoke. Let there be light. 
And the light shone where? In the darkness. Isn't that kind of cool? Now, I believe Genesis 1, 6, 20, 6 literal 24-hour day creation. But I believe that God did it the way he did it for a greater purpose as well. I think there's a whole lot more that's going on into there. And from the get-go, from the very get-go, that Yahweh, Elohim, declared that he was the light that would pierce the darkness. And the Jews got it. When Jesus declared it, so applicationally, we're going to see this in a moment, right? Because he is the light of the world, then those who are following him aren't going to walk in darkness. Okay? John 1, 4-9 then, is that shot over the bow. Remember that we talked about it again. Where Jesus then is the word, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But what do we know about this word? Well, in him was life. And life was the light of men. Notice how many times light is here. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not what? Comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, for a witness of the what? To bear witness of the light. That all through him might believe. Believe what? He was, that he was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. That it was a true light which gives light to every man that what? Comes into the world. So first off, right off the bat, what is the light equated to here in this passage about Jesus? Say again? Life. That there is a point where every individual, okay, now I don't want to get make this beyond, we need to, um, but um, friends, oh, um, what are they also called? Um, Quakers, Quakers, Quakers. Um, so there's a Quaker theology which that is kind of floats into universalism that everybody's saved because of this passage, okay? That because they have the light in them, and so therefore they already have that God spirit in them, and so they're saved. I don't think this is what that means. However, there is the concept of consciousness that's, that goes into this that we're going to see, okay? That light came into darkness giving life, okay? Now, we're going to slide into the next part. He is the Savior, but note the same passage here is, is here, okay? The light shone in the what? The darkness. In the darkness, what? Didn't comprehend it. So there's two sides of this, this concept of light that's going on here. There is the light of life, but then there's also the light of redemption or salvation that's going on as well. So that as Jesus came in to bring Light is to bring life, but it's also to bring real life, true life, salvation, spiritual life. Okay? So, um, so that's his declaration. And then we see it as well in John 3, 16, 21. Everybody knows John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave not his only begotten son, or that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life, but then go on into verse 17 and beyond where he explains what he means by that, right? 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. In this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. So ultimately, think about this. What are people going to be condemned for? Go ahead. Based upon this passage, what are men going to be condemned for? Loving darkness rather than light. Why? Because God will have manifested himself to who? All of them. That's exactly right. First Timothy tells us very clearly, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin. I don't, don't know exactly how God's going to do it and how God does it. But God reveals himself to every individual. Every individual is going to give an account for whether they received the revelation of God or rejected it. Whether they believed in the light or they rejected the light. If you would, whether they loved the light or whether they loved the, the darkness. There's no standing on the fence with God. People like to think they can stand on the fence with God. There's no standing on the fence. You're one side of the fence or the other side of the fence. You can't say I'm straddling the fence. You ain't straddling the fence. If you're straddling the fence, you're actually on the wrong side of the fence. That's just how it plays out. And we're going to see that as Jesus declares, okay? So first of all, the extent of his claim, and i keep got to keep moving, okay, is that he is not only the creator, but he's also the savior. In Ephesians 5, a transitional verse we're going to use as well, tells us, verses 8 to 11, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of what? Light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather... Expose them, okay? So this whole concept of life and salvation, you once were what? We talked about it in Colossians. You're dead. You were dead. Dead how? In your trespasses and sins. So you were dead, but now you are what? Alive. And how are you made alive? Because you came to the light and allowed the light to expose your darkness, your sin, okay? So if you're afraid of the light exposing your darkness, and a lot of people are, right? You'll never get saved. I mean, the fact is, how many of you have had a, a wicked past? You hit every hand ought to go up. See, now, for some, it's hard. But for some, if you got saved, you know, David always says, well, I don't have one of those exciting testimonies. I wish David and I could swap testimonies. And... Um, I wish I couldn't stand here right, right away and go, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me. I'd love to be the guy who's battling. Well, wicked, yeah, you know. Okay, so theolo- i got to go on my theological side. Yes, I had a wicked past. And, and you get it, and, you, and so I'm not picking on you. But if you take David's life and my life together, it's kind of like, okay, light and darkness. But no, that's how we think about it, right? David, you'd understand that it was really what? Darkness and darkness, right? I mean, until Christ came into our life, it didn't matter. He was in darkness. From the world's perspective, they may have looked at him and said, really? No way! If anybody was saved, it would be David. 
Now, Bob, we understand. That guy, he needed some help, okay? But before Christ, the wages of sin is death. I don't care how good you are. He obeys the whole law and yet stumbles at one point. He's guilty of of it all. So, the extent of his claim, I'm the light of the world, okay? But this is going to transition now into this applicational side, the effect of the claim. The effect of the claim is exactly what he states. I'm the light of the world. Because I'm the light of the world, we'll walk in his light. First statement, right? But in that, then, we will not walk in darkness. Do you hear the statement? We will not walk in darkness. Now, that's a hard statement. Because look again at the passage, right? Because now some of the colors have changed in it, okay? Now that's highlighting the fact of who I am after the fact. You once were what? Darkness. But now what are you? You are light. Therefore, you ought to what? Walk as children of light. Not children of darkness. Not children of the world. You ought to walk as children of light. And have no fellowship. How much fellowship? You know, this is a real struggle passage, isn't it? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather what? Expose them. Why do you think that's the case? Good. Light and dark can't be together. Okay. It's nighttime. I come in here and I flip the little switch by faith, right? By faith, I touch a piece of plastic and the light comes on. You know, now I was here when we put the electricity in here, but I still don't see the electrons going through the cords. Does it make sense? I mean, I don't know. There could have been a power outage, but by faith, I'm going to flip the little switch and I'm going to expect the light to come on. In the minute I do that and the light comes on, what happens? The darkness goes away. Was there a flip, a a switch that was flipped in your life? Is it on and off? On off, on off, on off. Is there continue to be a power outage? If there's a power outage, it's not from God. The power source never stops. Do you get it? You once were. Once were. Therefore, walk as. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. John is big on this. He talks about it numerous times and then even into his epistle and so we read from john 12 then jesus said to them a little while longer the light is with you walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you he who walks in darkness does not know where he's going john 12 46 i've come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide where in darkness first john 1 5 to 7 and then in chapter 2 that this is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you that God is what? Light. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. How much darkness? None. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, finish it out. We're liars. Do you feel a little bit of weight on that one? (laughs) Does that kind of make you squirm a little bit? God hates liars. 
Wow. Yeah, now you're bringing Proverbs 6 into this thing. Stop it! <laughs> I'm messing with you. You know that. God hates lying lips, man. Their lying lips are an abomination to him, right? It's, yeah, well, they're all big ones. But yes, you're exactly right. Okay? But if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now, you got to know, and this is important, that in the Greek, when we look at the old um, past tense, we have many ways of describing past actions. Okay? I'll break it down into just a couple for you, but um, we have an aorist, past tense. All right, John, Justin, Jonathan, Justin. The aorist past tense means what? Punctiliar. It's punctiliar. You used another big word. That doesn't mean anything to me. What does punctiliar mean? It happened in the past, completed in the past, but it's a, a moment in time. It's a boom, punctiliar. It's boom. We also have imperfect. Imperfect is what? Uh, nope. Okay. So it, that's perfect. Imperfect is a past action that's continuing, but still completed. So, so let me bring the two of these together, aorist and imperfect, okay? I'm going to talk about the Super Bowl from many years ago, okay? And so there was Super Bowl, let's say, 30, okay, whatever it was. I don't, and I'm not remembering it, okay? And so if I talked about Super Bowl 30, I'm going to talk about it in the aorist. It was a punctiliar thing. There was an event, right? But then I'm going to start describing how the, the cornerback floated across the field, okay? And, and I start to describe a play, but it happened when? In the past, but I'm describing the process of it. So it also finished in the, the past, okay? So you have a past action, punctiliar, aorist, past action that's, that has movement in it. There's some others, like the perfect, which is a past action that has a continuing result and, and those kind of pluperfects, all these kind of perfects. You know, I mean, just there are numerous ways to describe past. Now, let's talk about the present. We have a present tense. How many, t- how many ways do you think the Greeks have of describing the present tense? One. Just one. We can describe the past, like, amazingly. But the present... It's like right now, man. So the present can either be punctiliar or continuing, like the aorist or the imperfect. You get what I'm saying? So drawing that idea from the past. So when you read about something happening in a present, you have to decide, is it talking about ever or a continuing action? In context, through this thing, it's talking about a continuing action. If you are in Christ, if you say that you're in the light, that you have fellowship with God, and you are abiding, remember going back to John 12, you're abiding in darkness, you're residing there, you're walking there, and it doesn't bother you. You can live in the darkness. Make sense? You can continue to do sin, and it doesn't bother you at all. No conviction in you at all. You've got a problem. It doesn't mean you'll never, ever, ever sin, because what do we know about us on this side of humanity? We're going to continue to sin, right? Ultimate perfection comes when? 
in heaven. We'll talk about this in a moment when we get to Romans 6. But for right now, let the weight be upon you. If you are abiding in sin and you know it's sin and there's no repentance, you better be checking with the God of the universe. Because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Secondly, he said, they will have the light of life. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we talked about this two weeks ago when we talked about Jesus saying that, um, that those who came to him, out of them would flow rivers of living water. Okay? And we talked about um, this then, and we talked about these passages then, about the words of a man's mouth are deep waters, the wellspring of wisdom, James 3, and from Ephesians 4, that we ought to be giving out words of life. And so because Jesus is that, because he is the light of the world, we ought to be spewing forth light. We ought to be living in that, and we ought to be giving that forth, okay? Secondly, um, that we see in this passage, as we get out of John uh, verse 12, okay, and move on now, is that Jesus declares that another I am that we didn't talk about last week, okay? And that I am comes from... um, I am my own witness. Help me out. I just lost myself. Verse 18. Verse 18, thank you. Ego e me. So when you're reading verse 18, what it really says is ego e me. Ego e me, who bears witness, the, bear, bearing witness of myself. I am, I am, bearing witness of myself, is what he says. Okay? So he declares, this is an important thing, because then he goes, you say in the law, it takes what? Two witnesses. So I'm one. And then who's the other one? Who's what? Part of the Godhead. Do you get it? Do you know anybody else who made a declaration based upon their own character and it stood? No, not David. God. Yeah, book of Hebrews. Whoever the writer of Hebrews says and that that there's nobody greater than him to, 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 to declare. So God gave an oath by his own what? By his own self. There's no one greater. Because when you give an oath, you have to give an oath based upon somebody who's what? Greater than you. But there's nobody greater than God. So Jesus doesn't turn around and ask for a witness from anybody else. Now in John 5, we saw Jesus declare practically, that there are all these things that were giving witness of him. But when it boils down to it, Jesus declares, really, whose witness is it? My witness. I'm the one bearing witness of myself. Why? Because I know where I came from regarding his origin. This is extremely important. I don't have a lot of time for it, but I'm hoping maybe I can tantalize some of your taste buds that you want to get a little bit further into this, okay? But there are two primary words in the Greek for sending. There's the word pempo and the word apostello, okay? The word pempo, um, <laughs> all right, so if you've been in Greek class with me, I've told you how I remember this word. Does anyone remember how I, how I remember this word? Good, pimple. Some of you remember the pimple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty gross. Okay, anyways, but that's the idea of it, man. 
you're just, it's with friction, it's with force, it's being propelled, bing, you know? So, I don't know if you did, remember your teenage years, you know? Looking at the mirror, you know? How many of those little more? Oh, there's a constellation going. Anyways, so, <laughs> anyways, some of you older people look at me, I didn't remember those days. Anyways, so, but apostello, apostello is to send like an official messenger or representative, Okay? So it's to send officially, if you would. Is that how we have there? To send out on a mission or as a representative, okay? So both of these terms are being used by Jesus. This is so cool. So to show you the illustration of the difference is Matthew chapter 2, okay? Herod, okay, the, the wise men come to Herod, the magi come to Herod, and they tell him, you know, they're looking for, for the newborn king, right? Herod pretends like he wants to go worship him, so he sends them out. He just sends them. Go find them. And when you find him, come tell me about it, okay, so I can go worship him. Well, they're warned of, by angels in a dream, so they don't go back to Herod. Herod realizes, verse 16, right, that he's been had. You know, he doesn't realize God had him, but anyways, he's been had, and they didn't come back. And so now Herod sends forth Apostello, people to go kill all the male babies. He sent them, not just, like, go. He sent them as his official representative. So when they went to Bethlehem, they had the what? They had authority to kill. Okay? Two different concepts of it. Now, what's fun about it is I haven't wrapped my brain totally around this, okay? I, I'm really pondering. Because I, this whole, the deity, the triunity is just something that, Man, I just, I marvel, marvel, marvel. And my mathematical brain just just spins on this thing, okay? I mean, some of you is like, oh, so what? We'll just move on. And, but no, my brain, man, I just love it. I am just so just, like, God is just giving me depths and depths. And it's like, whatever, okay? But the first step here is that he sent by the Father. He sent by the Father. Note how many times these words are used, okay? Apostello is used... 133 times in the New Testament. 28 of those times are in John. 16 of the 28 of those times is Jesus declaring that he was officially sent by the the Father. Okay? Pempo, Jesus also was sent, though, he declares, from the Father. Not just sent by the Father, but again... I know my illustration is kind of warped and gross, okay? But I, I want you to think about because this is co- the concept. That core, if you will, right, originally was where? In me. And I propelled it from me. Do you get it? Jesus was sent, propelled from the Father. The word pempo is used 81 times in New Testament, 33 of those times in John. Just a gospel, John. We're not even talking about the epistles. Of those 33 times, 26 of the times, it's Jesus declaring that he was propelled, sent from the Father. There's a pretty powerful statement in there when you, again, bring Colossians into this, that, that in Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead what? bodily when did jesus become god 
When did Jesus become God? Always. Yes. We're get, when we see John 17, we're going to get there. Jesus is saying about having the glory that he had with the Father before. It was all, you know, he never was not God. He was in the Godhead. He shared the glory with the Godhead. He was sent forth into the world. The manifestation of the fullness of God bodily. Does that boggle your brain? You don't want to boggle your brain. But it's all here. Jesus is declaring it all in this passage. You can go to all the, I have them on your uh, sermon note sheet, I think, okay? But secondly, regarding his credibility, Jesus says, I am the one who bears witness of myself. And then he goes on to say in verses 13 to 16 prior to that, he says, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, what? My judgment is true. His witness is true. His judgment is true. This is all going to come down into the, this next point then. What do you do with it? Because Jesus says, the effect of this claim is that those who know him, those who believe this, do so because they know who? The Father. The Father. If you had known the Father, you will have known me. But you don't know the Father. Therefore, you don't know me. And the sad thing is, you're not willing to admit it. So he says, if you'd have known Oida, and what's fun here about that is, again, I don't have time. When we get to John 17, hopefully I'll break out a little bit more about Gnosko and Oida. Okay? There's a couple different words for to know in the Greek. Okay? But Oida, or Edo, is the factual knowledge. So he's talking about factual by sight knowledge. Okay, not relational kind of knowledge, but this is factual sight knowledge. He says, if you had known, factually known me, you would have factually known my father. But you don't factually know him. You think you know him, but you don't really know him. You claim to know him, but you don't know him. And the proof in the pudding is, what? The Messiah came standing in your midst, and you don't know me. That's proof enough. You don't know the Father. Isn't that something? So, we'll know the Father. Secondly, we will be forgiven. We talked about this passage last week from John 8, verse 24. He comes down and he says to them they're going to die in their sins, but he culminates this with one of his aguamis. In verse 24, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe, ego in me, if you do not believe I am, I am, you will die in your sins. It's an important statement. This is all based upon the fact that Jesus' witness is true. That I am bearing my own witness. What do you do with his witness? There are going to be people who are going to tell you that the, you using the Bible is cyclical arguments, cyclical reasoning. Why should I believe that? Because you're quoting me the Bible? I'm going to believe the Bible because you're quoting me the Bible? Do you get it? But that's how it plays out. You either believe God or you don't believe God. Hebrews chapter 11 is very clear. By faith, we understand that the worlds were 
framed by blank. You say the word of God. But the guy out there might say what? A big bang. But equally, the statement holds true from the perspective of by what? By faith you believe. Evolution isn't science. Evolution's religion. It's faith. Was anybody there when the beginning happened? Good answer. Yes, God. Now, let's, let's go one step deeper here. Does anybody ever meet God for God to give a witness about that? Go ahead, Gail. Say it louder. Jesus. That's what Jesus is stating right here. I'm the one bearing witness of myself because I am Yahweh in the flesh. What more do you want? I told you I would come and dwell in your midst, and here I am. In Emmanuel. And I am giving you the witness, and you are telling me what? I'm a liar. How mind-boggling is this? But really, this is where faith comes down. Do you believe the witness of Jesus or not? That's what this is really all about. This is the line in the sand. Do you believe the witness of Jesus or not? If you don't believe the witness of Jesus, you're going to die in your sins. That's defense. Jesus is, I am. Ego me. I am, I am. He's God. And because he's God, he's the perfect sacrifice. He died for your sins. If you don't believe that, you're going to die in your sins. That's just how it plays out. So the other side is, if you believe that, what happens? You're forgiven. How cool is that? And so as we talk about Colossians as well, I mean, that's why Colossians is such a big deal to me from that perspective that in Jesus, the fullness, the pleroma of God was bodily. But the next statement then says that I now am what? Complete pleroma in him. So if you think Jesus was really totally full of the Godhead, then what does it say about me? I'm full. I'm complete because he is. I'm totally forgiven. Not partially forgiven. I'm totally forgiven. And it's not because I'm so good. It's because he's so great. We've got to fly on. The third one is, will abide in his word. Okay? The extent of his claim before Abraham was, I am. Okay? Um, Jesus talks about the descendants of Abraham. In John 8, 37, he says, I know that, you know, look at what he states here. This is important. I know that you are what? Abraham's descendants. So he gives acknowledgement to the fact that they are what? His descendants. But then he states in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, I know you're his descendants, but you're not his children. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? You're his descendants, but you're not his children. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about the works of Abraham. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Well, what's the works of Abraham? That ought to be, you ought to want to know that. What's the works of Abraham? Because if you're the children of Abraham, you do the works of Abraham. Well, back in John 6, we saw Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God that you what? That you believe in him whom 
the Father sent. James 2, verses 22-24, this is going to sound like I'm going to muddy the water here, but this is so important to me, okay, for us to fully understand this. Do you see that faith was working together with his, that is Abraham's, works? By works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That ought to make us cringe. Because we say that we're justified by what only? Faith. But James, this is why there's a battle whether James would be part of the Bible, whether it's canonized or not. Because of this statement that we're justified by our what? Works. Ouch. Ooh. Mm. But note in context what he just said. So go back to my illustration, right? Because it's dark in the room, right? It's dark in the room. And I needed to come up here to do something. So when, because I came at nighttime, it's dark in the room. What's the first thing I'm going to do when I come in? I'm going to touch a little piece of plastic, which happens to be a switch. We get that, right? I'm going to flip a switch. But really, I mean, if someone came into our culture, had no clue what was going on, right? And they were watching me do this thing. What they're going to see me do is what? Play with a little piece of plastic. And then all of a sudden, when I played with the little piece of plastic, what was going to happen? The light. I had faith. By faith, when I walked in the room, my faith said, if I flick this little piece of plastic, the room would illuminate. Do you get it? How do you know that I really believed that the light, that the room would illuminate if I pushed that switch up. Because I pushed the switch up. Do you get it? How do I know that you really have faith in Jesus Christ? Because it comes out in your life. Because I see it. I see it. I see it all through your life. Again, it goes back to square one. He who believes in me, right, will not walk in darkness. But they'll have the light of life. They're going to believe my witness. Well, what are we told here? We're going to know the truth. Well, that goes back up to the primary point. How are we going to know the truth? Because we will what? Abide in his word. Those who are his disciples... Jesus said, now think about it. How does verse 31 start? Then said Jesus to who? What Jews? Those who believed him. Oh, we got struggle now, right? Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed him. If you abide in my word, then you are what? My disciples truly. There's a whole lot of people who have an appearance. But their works aren't walking with their faith. Jesus said, if you're really my disciple, what are you going to do? You're going to abide in my word. Don't put your hands up. Don't put your hands down. I just want you to think. How many of you read his word this morning already? I said, don't put your hand up. If you're not reading his word, if it's not a part of your life, if it's not even a blip on your map for it to happen, you've got to really ask yourself again the question. So if you're not reading his word, but you're walking in darkness, I'm not the judge. But God's word is the judge. 
And if you will abide in his word, there's a promise. You will know the truth. You'll know it. I believe it. Jesus said it's profitable for you, for me to leave, because if I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. Do you believe that? I believe it. But I'm not going to go to all these different commentaries and all these different places to find truth. Where am I going to go to find truth? The word of Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you're my disciple, you will abide in my word and you will know the truth. Jesus prayed, and we'll see this again in John 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And not only will you know the truth, but you will be set free. And I don't have time for these passages here. But in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, and also in verse six, chapter 6, we read that we're going to be set free from the law of sin and from the law of death. 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is the law and the strength of the law. Or the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be unmovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. How cool is that? There's a promise. I am right now free. Do you get it? If you are in bondage to sin, we talked about this in um, Sunday school a little bit, so you can go back to there in your brain. But if you're in bondage to sin, (laughs) you don't need to be. You oughtn't be. Because you've been set free if you really are a believer in Jesus Christ. Can I just say this real fast? I came from up north, right? So I'm not picking on the past. But I'll look at Michelle because she she's going to get this. From my culture where I came from, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. You know, what did you do? Why? Say three Hail Marys to our fathers and put 50 bucks in the box and you'll be forgiven. You say you're Hail Marys, you say you're our fathers, you put your 50 bucks in the box, and you're right with God. Is that right? <laughs> no, it was only, it's not even good for a week, dude. It's only good until I did it again, and i got to go back and forgive me, Father, I have sinned. And I'm gonna, so I'm continually doing my rosemaries, or rosemaries, my <laughs> rosemary sage of parley in time. At my rosaries, okay? So, so there's that in the Lutheran church with the absolutions and stuff like that. It's only good for a week, okay? So... Did it really, was it good? No, it wasn't good. You know it wasn't good. You're trusting in what? Works, but you're trusting in a prayer. I say this with all the love in my heart. I came, moved down south. And I saw all the southern Catholics. Known as Baptists. It, well, men, Pentecostals and Charismatics and everything. Whoever coming down the aisle saying to what? Good. What do they say when you say? What's it called? You guys are going to say, you got one bold enough to say it, the sinner's prayer. And so someone says, Brazos, I'm picking you since you're the one who was bold enough to say it. Well, Brazos, I'm glad you came down. Why don't you repeat after me? I, state, state your name. 
polygrosis. Do solemnly swear. Now, I know, I didn't really say it this way, okay? That I'm a sinner, and I believe in Jesus. And Now, look, am I, am I pick? No, because we want to call upon the name of the Lord. I get that. But there are too many people who are trusting in the fact that they said a sinner's prayer, but they're not trusting in God. And the church counted them. In the, tr- yeah, the church counted them. As long as they got baptized. As long as they get baptized, brothers, all right. And, um, and so, but you're right. That's, that's the point. Do you get it? That's the, the whole point is that we get people trusting in something other than him. And God's given us the evidence of whether it's real or not real. That's all I'm saying to you. Man, I do not want to get to heaven and find out the people that I preach to were counterfeit. Do you get it? I don't want you to go. Be not many masters or teachers, for such have the greater condemnation. I am going to give an account. I am going to give a responsibility for everything I teach you. I do not want to get there and find out that I let a bunch of people be fat, dumb, and happy going to hell because it lined my pockets. You roger that. So, who is Jesus to you? Is he the incarnate presence of Yahweh? That's who he is. It ought to change our life. It ought to be seen in our life. And so, how is he manifested in your life? How do people know that you really believe it? I mean, do they really know that you really believe that Jesus is God incarnate? Are you a true Christ follower? I can't answer it for you. I know you probably look at me and go, good grief, I'm... Something ought to tweak in that brain on something, okay? And I can do that to you, but I'm not the judge. God's word is the judge. Is there a need then to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your kindness, for your goodness. You made a way for us to come to you because you want us to have a relationship with you. Not a religion, but a relationship. And you sent Jesus. That boggles my brain, Lord. But I'm so glad that you've boggled my brain. I'm glad that it's more than what I can comprehend. Lord, I pray that you would help us to magnify you with our very being, with our very lives. Lord, help us to proclaim your words. Help us to read your words. And Lord, I pray that if there's really anybody who are in our fellowship, Lord, it's not yours, that you would make them aware of that and they would call upon your name. God, that we would have clean, clear, pure fellowship in your name to magnify you. In Christ's name, amen.